This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, I have a show for you that I've been trying to get scheduled for a while. As you all know, I changed my position around Bitcoin. I now am in the process of moving 1% of my net worth into it. I want to have that kind of uh, just in case uh, you know, piece of my portfolio. You know, 10 years ago, it was gold and silver. Now it is going to be cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin. So let's welcome Marco to the show. How are you doing, buddy? Very well. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, man. So do me a favor, introduce the audience to who is Marco, what do you do, uh, why you're an expert in crypto and blockchain and all of that. And we're going to dive in. We're going to ask you some hard questions. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, basically my entire life, uh, at least in a professional sense, uh, revolves around blockchain technology. Uh, I've been in the crypto space for over 10 years now. So I was one of the few people that got in very, very early. And so I've seen the development over the years and uh, have benefited from it over the years. And uh, as time went on, I got more and more involved on a professional level. And so these days uh, I run a crypto hedge fund. Uh, I have educational courses uh, around the blockchain ecosystem and I write a, a crypto investment newsletter. So pretty much uh, my day-to-day -day activities uh, revolve completely around blockchain. There you go. Well, um, actually let's start there, right? With around blockchain. Uh, if you were going to introduce the concept of blockchain to somebody that not in the know, uh, how would you kind of describe it? Why do you think it's so powerful? You know, what, what is it? Well, it, uh, it has many applications. Most people know about uh, blockchain because they have heard about Bitcoin and because mm -hmm. the, the financial use case is the first big use case. But if we look at the properties uh, of blockchain technology, what is it that actually makes it different? And, and what is it that makes it so exciting? And why, why is it such a quantum leap forward? And that is basically uh, described with digital scarcity. So um, imagine having an MP3 file, right? A music file. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you can share that and copy it uh, an infinite amount of time at basically zero cost, right? So it, it, it's, it's a digital... Um, um, uh, a digital file and it's not scarce. So what blockchain technology basically does now, it can make digital objects scarce. So meaning I can transfer it from me to you, but I cannot copy it. So, uh, and that's basically, if you think about it, how money works, right? You're, you're not counterfeiting a bill, you're passing it on. And on top of this property, which, which blockchain uh, brought to the digital space for the first time, it also has the added benefit that the whole system is decentralized and distributed, meaning that there's uh, no central point of failure and also no single central entity that, that is in control. Uh, so that means it's permissionless. You know, anybody can access it. Nobody's there that can prevent you uh, or, or me and you from transacting with each other. 
And then the third really important property specifically as it relates to money is that because it's a decentralized system that cannot be easily manipulated, uh, the supply of it is also baked into the code, so to speak. So you're also protected from inflation. If we look at fiat currencies, I mean, just look at the US dollar, which is still the reserve currency, but something like 35% of all US dollars have been just printed in 2020 alone. So this is banana republic levels, right? And it's, it's getting to a point now where th things are got, starting to get more shaky. And so with something like uh, Bitcoin, for example, you have a much more stable foundation where, where it cannot be easily debased, like with fiat currencies. Yeah, so we'll get into Bitcoin next. That will obviously be a large part of our discussion. I want to stick with blockchain because I think its ability, again, taking the MP3 file is a great example, right? Or a video file or a picture or whatever you want, right? Whatever you, the viewer, is thinking of. All of those things in theory in today's technology can be copied, right? Can be copied, like you said, thousands of times. The ability to make it scarce, the ability to trade with anyone, the ability to authenticate said trade or sale or give or whatever you want to call that is powerful. And it's frankly one of the things, again, that I think blockchain is going to bring in the future uh, around real estate and real estate investing, right? I buy and sell, I don't know, let's call it a dozen properties a year. And it still amazes me how much paperwork is involved in the escrow process, the fact that I have to pay a third party to give me insurance to make sure the title is clean, that there's no additional liens. Um, you know, I, I don't know when it will happen, but when I saw blockchain and I dug in like 1% level, I'm like, this will eventually revolutionize the escrow process for real estate investing. Am I crazy? Am I overthinking it? Or what do you think? Not at all. And you just mentioned an absolute uh, key word, and that is middlemen. Uh, with, with my previous description, I, I, uh, I, I skipped over that because one property of blockchains is also that they are peer-to-peer. So yes. there are no middlemen. So basically, uh, if we uh, if we look at the real estate use case specifically, you know, you have attorneys, you have title companies, uh, you, you have the state that maintains actually the register. So you have all these middlemen uh, that not only are problematic because you have to trust them, but of course, they also add a lot of cost to it and inefficiency. So uh, one other way to look at blockchains is that they're basically just a database. But, uh, and, and if you look at the, the economy, like all the business processes these days are digital and where's all the data stored in some form of database. So pretty much uh, the use cases for blockchain are almost infinite because almost in every single setting where you have a database, it benefits from this database to be on a blockchain for all these properties we just mentioned. Yeah. So now if we look at real estate titles, um, this is, of course, a, a tricky thing because it interfaces with the physical world and it interfaces with governments. And then, of course, there's the whole spatial dimension of, of, uh, of uh, um, titles. If you have, land, you, you know, with the land, you have the coordinates and where it begins and ends. So this is uh, an additional uh, uh, complication, but there are many projects already working on this. And there are also several countries that already experiment with putting the uh, real estate titles on, uh, on blockchains. And I think probably the first place where we're going to see that actually live in production is, is a place like Dubai, that they're, they're always very forward thinking with these kinds of things, especially with blockchain, and uh, they have pilot programs running. So it is coming at some point in the future. But when we, when, when we talk about this specific use case, I think it's still many years in the future before we see a, a widespread adoption of that. But it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And then the other thing I like about blockchain, again, with the use case that I'm familiar with, is not only kind of removing the fees and peer to peer, but it also will be a much faster process. Right. The, oh, yeah. the whole validation I mean, instead of 
weeks and months to get a deal done. It in theory could be, you know, seconds or minutes. Yeah, you're basically just limited by the finality of the transaction on the blockchain because it goes from uh, from uh, seller to buyer. And once the transaction is passed, everything is sealed automatically. The title is transferred automatically and it's all done within minutes, let's say. Yeah, very cool. So one of the things I want to do is I want to bring up a question I actually got from my mom, which is which is really funny, right? So I, I, I changed my position on Bitcoin, which we'll get into next. I talk about why it's going to be kind of 1% of my portfolio. And she calls me up and essentially says, what are you doing? Uh, what happens if it gets hacked, right? What happens if the network gets hacked? So again, it's a distributed network. It's, you know, it would be, I guess it's theoretically possible to mirror the network, but it's in practicality not. But why don't we just talk about that kind of aspect of, of or, you know, the grid going down or, you know, something like that. Why, why, you know, crypto is actually stronger because of that, because it is, you know, global in nature. Well, I mean, with the grid going down, you have much bigger uh, worries than, than yeah. your Bitcoin because, I mean, everything goes down, you know, all business, all banking, all supply chains, everything. So this is kind of a uh, outside of some crazy solar flare or something like that. It's kind of a ridiculous scenario, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's put that aside for a moment, but let's let's address the hacking question, sure. uh, which is actually a, a really big use case for blockchain in general because uh, databases get hacked all the time. You know, all the big companies, I can guarantee you your personal data is floating out there on the dark web and, and it's being sold right now mm -hmm. so this is actually uh, uh in the hundreds of billions if not trillions in in, in yearly cost for, for businesses the whole cybercrime issue and which is one of the key things that blockchain solve because in a traditional system you have a database that sits uh, in on one computer or in one data center and a hacker just needs to get access to that and he has access to everything now, with a blockchain, due to its distributed and decentralized nature, you basically have to hack the entire thing, or at, at the very least, a majority uh, of the of the nodes of the computers that participate in it. Which, with Bitcoin, we're talking tens of thousands of computers. I mean, it's it's basically impossible. The the computing powers that you uh, that you have to summon to to uh, even try something like that, uh, it, it's not possible to 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 get these kinds of resources. You know, yeah. I remember very well still when we go back to 2011, 2000. 2012, that was a really big part of the discussion. At that time, of course, there was only Bitcoin. And at that time, it was still relatively unproven. I mean, I, I had my Bitcoin and every day I was waking up like, okay, is the network still alive, right? <laughs> you didn't know at that time, is it going to get hacked? Which now, you know, 10 years later, these worries have faded away. And I, I think now we can say that this is really safe. But also at the time, the network in terms of all the computing power that went into it to protect it was still so small that it was feasible for even a single nation state to attack it and, and basically destroy it. I mean, now that ship has sailed, we're way past that point. It, it's so big and there, it's a, it, you know, the whole mining business for Bitcoin specifically is an industrial scale uh, industry now. It's, it, you can't just simply like take that over, you know? Yeah, I saw it took down Iran's electric, electric power or something, right? Because it has cheap, they sell electricity cheap there. I'm sure. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Iran, the government, is mining Bitcoin because they're oh, I'm sure so they many are. sanctions. Yeah. So uh, for for them, it's <laughs> they're they're in uh, on on the positive side of the spectrum when it comes yeah. to Bitcoin. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's let's move from blockchain. I think really what I wanted to start there is I think blockchain offers some significant advantages uh, with or without cryptocurrency. It obviously is a, is a backbone of crypto, but I just wanted people to realize that uh, the blockchain the 
all of its advantages will have use cases outside of cryptocurrency. That's kind of why I wanted to start there. Now let's talk about Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin, uh, you know, first hit the radar for most people. Let's call it 2017. This is the run up to 20,000. Again, I'm rounding. It's when I remember, you know, uh, really it was, it was back to, you know, everybody, everybody wanted to get a piece, right? It was, it was, I think it was like on top of Newsweek or it was on the cover of Newsweek or Time Magazine or something. And, and that's when it kind of went parabolic and then it had a couple of rough years. So as we kind of get into 2020, uh, I think the world is different. But you want to talk about that first run up in, in what that was like in, in first today? Well, I mean, for me, it was the, the third or the fourth run up. But ah, in terms good point. Of popular, popular awareness, it, it was the first, uh, first uh, time uh, many people became aware of what, what even is Bitcoin. And there is such a thing as Bitcoin. And uh, if, if you look at that bubble, that was fueled purely by retail investors. And uh, at that time also, it was um, based basically on hopes and ideas. It was the area of the white paper where everybody came out with a nice idea that, that was in, in a, put in a nice little PDF and, uh, and hyped to the moon, right? right. So uh, just like all markets, this, this market is very sick. Or, yeah, more than most markets actually is very cyclical. So usually around four years is a cycle. So it goes up for four years, it goes down for a few years, it goes up for four years again. But at that time, you know, you know it was pretty much only uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum as serious businesses and the rest was basically mostly ideas. Now in 2020, it looks very different because a lot of these things that were idealistic uh, uh, concepts and, and ideas and, and just at the, at the idea stage, basically, that raised many millions of dollars, these millions of dollars have been put to use uh, in many uh, uh, cases. So now we have more and more of these projects going live and actually for the first time, delivering all this value that, uh, that they promised. So we have these pro projects going live and the whole blockchain ecosystem becoming more and more interconnected. So it's like a flywheel, you know, it's, it's bringing more and more benefit the more of these things go live. And then the other big difference comp uh, compared to 2017 is now we have for the first time institutional adoption. So we have really big companies that now take a part of their treasury and say, hey, we have all these dollars. The, the dollar is not what it used to be. And there's this new thing, Bitcoin, that is actually deflationary. The value goes up over time and, and it's very, it, it, bring, it brings us a, a very good hedge and we can put a small percentage of our treasury into Bitcoin. So more and more companies are doing that. So you have both retail and institutions now involved. And in terms of the overall users, you know, all technologies, they grow in an S-curve. They go up like this. And now is the time where we hit this inflection point where things go really up uh, in, in, in a very uh, steep angle and where we see the first phase of true mass adoption. This is coming in the next two or three years. So right now, in terms of the timing, is like a, a key point, a key inflection point of this whole thing. Very cool. So one of the questions I know I wanted to ask you could be kind of, um, I'm sure you get it all the time or you hear about it is it's usually from somebody older or usually I'm just, I'm not trying to be ageism. It just usually is. And they're like, ah, Bitcoin's going to zero. It's smoke and mirrors. It's, you know, it's the greater fool, greater fool theory on steroids, right? It only has value because somebody else out there says it has value and, and whoever's holding the bag last will lose. Um, what do you think when you hear stuff like that? How would you want to educate them? Because they probably just don't know the, a couple of core components, perhaps. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at money in general, uh, anything just has value because we collectively believe it has value. Money is basically a meme, right? Mm -hmm. And especially uh, fiat currencies, because if you look at the history of fiat currencies, uh, you know, um, they're all going to zero eventually. And uh, we're well advanced uh, on the path to zero for even the US dollar, which over the last decades has lost over 90% of its purchasing power. So you could say the greater fool theory uh, applies pretty much to fiat currencies. And usually older people, they're more uh, fans of hard money like, like gold and silver. And mm -hmm. again, gold and silver, apart from a small industrial use case and, uh, and a little bit of using jewelry is we, we use it as money because we all agree it has money. And, and, and why is that? Because it's scarce. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you can't like fiat currencies print it uh, uh, in unlimited quantities. But gold is also very impractical. You know, it, it used to be possible that you can take a few gold coins and hop on a plane and travel somewhere. This is a really bad idea these days. Mm. And so you have the whole thing and how to store it. And, you know, it's not easily divisible. It, it has practical limitations. And with, uh, with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies in general, you basically have all the positive um, attributes of gold, uh, but it's infinitely divisible. It's portable. You know, you, you can travel with a, a billion dollars just with the password in your head and, and, and cross any border. So it has a lot of additional advantages. Uh, and it's, it's also scarce just, just, like, um, just like gold, because like I mentioned earlier, it, it can simply not be printed in unlimited quantities. This is defined by the algorithm, by the code, which, mm -hmm. which is basically fixed. So uh, if you look at now the age spectrum, it's very understandable that older people have a hard time with this because they didn't grow up with computers. You know, all, yeah. all, the, all the digital stuff is for them. They have to learn it and have to get comfortable with it. And if you look at millennials or even younger, I mean, they're digital natives. They grew up with computers. Uh, for, for them to have uh, money as a, as a piece of paper is very anachronistic and, and kind of ridiculous. So if you look at in general, like 90 something percent of all money is already digital, right? Credit cards, bank accounts, like the actual physical notes and coins in circulation is only like three or 4% of the money supply. Mm. So money is already digital. So now just this digital form is evolving and improving. And for all the younger people, that's something completely natural and normal. Yeah. I think that's great. I guess one question I want to ask just tying point one and two together. And this was, this was an interesting one for me to think about. So it'd be interesting to get an experienced guy's opinion. Can you be a believer in the flexibility and power that blockchain will bring and, and yet still think that Bitcoin is, I don't know, a fraud or worth nothing? Are, are, they, are they strongly linked or can you separate them even in your mind? Well, you can't have one without the other. And, ah. and that's because of the design of the system. Uh, the token, uh, it basically a monetary incentive is part of what makes the whole consensus algorithm work. So without this economic incentive, the whole structure of how blockchain works, you wouldn't be able to have it. So any blockchain uh, uh, system or, or protocol, and even outside of money, we can use the example of a decentralized database, mm -hmm. far superior to, to just a single database because yep. you get all these properties from blockchains, it still needs to have a token to make this whole thing work because the resources required to protect this network, you need to incentivize them. Nobody's going to work for free, right? Mm -hmm. So to say, oh, I really believe in, in, uh, in blockchain technology, but I don't believe in the tokens is kind of, uh, well, a very limited understanding of how the system actually works. Very cool. Well, the other thing I know I wanted to talk about is, is you've already highlighted, right? It kind of started with Bitcoin, then Ethereum. And again, outside guy's opinion, once there's a good idea, there's a lot of people that copy and follow it and 
they all can't i don't i don't see how they all can win some of them have to go to zero again one guy's opinion you could tell me i'm wrong but at some point aren't there just too many coins too many variations and some have to go to zero Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we look at the blockchain ecosystem in its totality, we have something like 5,000 projects and probably 90 plus percent of them are garbage because a, a lot of them either have weak technology or have weak teams that cannot execute or even are just plain old copies of frauds that don't deliver any value. So uh, just like any new space, uh, it's, it's riddled with bad quality fraud scams. Uh, you name it, it's all out there. And, and, and that's actually a big part of my work because I sift through all these projects and, and of these 5,000, there are maybe, let's say, three or 400 that are, are decent quality that you can take seriously. And then a small subset of this, maybe 50 to 100 is uh, what's really interesting in, in terms of what, the, what value they deliver, what use case they deliver, and from an investment perspective and the, the, the money you can make with them. So yes, there is a lot of that fraud. And why, why can I not just start my own coin? Yes, of course, you know, all the, co the code is open source. You can just go to GitHub, copy the, the, the code and launch your own Bitcoin. But good luck getting any adoption, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things I want to make sure there's a connection of just in my head. So you've called them 5,000 projects. Does a project equal a coin or are there several projects around one coin? I just want to make sure the vocabulary is clear for a novice. I mean, 99% of the of the projects, they do have a token of, of some sort. It's okay. very few that don't have that. So uh, in general, you can say a, a blockchain project has a, a token for, okay. for part of its functionality. It, it might be designed in a way that not a lot of value accrues to that token. It could be simply a governance token that has no monetary benefits or it, it can do different things. So it's not necessarily a, a good investment, but uh, most projects do have a token. Okay. And then... When you think of Bitcoin and then you think of Ethereum, again, outside guy's opinion, I look at those two coins, again, the limited research I have, no, I'm a real estate guy, but I did look at them because again, I'm like, shoot, if I'm going to put some money over there, I might as well read some stuff. Uh, they really are, they're really different, again, from my opinion. Uh, is that kind of a correct reading or how would you, how would you compare and contrast them? Yeah. So you can basically look at Bitcoin as the first version, the Model T, right? Yep. So... Bitcoin has no smart contract functionality. Now, what is smart contract functionality? It's basically, if you take a computer and decentralize it and put it in a blockchain, so anybody can access that computer and nobody can prevent me from running a program on it. So if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't have that. Bitcoin is simply the monetary aspect as a store of value and as a transfer mechanism, you can transfer value uh, with all these inherent properties that we talked about earlier. But you cannot run, say, a, a social media platform on it that is decentralized and censorship resistant. But on something like Ethereum, I'm in a very limited way because it, it was uh, in, in terms of the decentralized computing platform, the very first one with a lot of limitations. But it basically brought, uh, brought this whole blockchain game up one level from purely the financial aspect to now also decentralized computation. And now in 2020, we're in a stage where we have like, let's call it the third generation of blockchains, where they improved a lot on what Ethereum is doing in terms of how quickly transactions confirm, how much they cost, and uh, how many transactions you can run 
run on this computer. It's, it's a much more powerful computer, which then opens up a whole new host of use cases. You know, just, just like any technology, and if we stay with the car analogy, you know, no longer is anybody driving a Model T. You know, we're driving cars from today because, uh, you know, now not even a, a combustion engine car anymore, but an electric vehicle. And blockchain is going through the same, same kind of evolution as things develop, they improve and uh, gain new uh, functionalities and, and new capacities. Wow, lots of stuff there. So Marco, how can people follow you? Or actually, before we get to how they follow you, if, some, if, if a novice, somebody watched this real estate person and they wanted to go dive into blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it is, where would you send them? Well, I mean, I have a, a video course that's called Crypto Quantum Leap. So you if go. you want to take the quantum leap into the new crypto world, this is a beginner's course that teaches you all the fundamentals, exactly how it works, uh, how does it work with the wallets, how do I set it up, how do I keep it secure, how does it work with the exchanges, you know, all the beginner stuff to really get started with it. Uh, we ha I have a video course there and we can put a description uh, um, below the video. Yep. Uh, so that, that's that's a good, I mean, of, co of course, you can also just go to YouTube and, and look up things, but if you like, uh, you know, rather pay some money and have everything in, in a concise format from A to A to Z, start to finish, then then that's the way I would recommend. Uh, the other thing I want to ask again, kind of following back to 5,000, 90% of them have no value or frauds or whatever. If you are just a new investor, like I am, you're interested, you're willing to put a little bit there. Would you coach them up and say, don't overthink it, just do Bitcoin? I mean, is, is that kind of overthinking it? Well, there is a spectrum, right? So if you're new to it, the first step is, of course, buy some Bitcoin and, and learn how to keep it secure and, and have learned to and, and understand how the whole system works. So that's, of course, step number one. And now it kind of bifurcates. You can, you can say, okay, I'm fine with just having like the blue chip Bitcoin and have like market average returns from Bitcoin, which are significant compared to any other asset class. Or if you say, you know, these smaller projects, they have much more upside and it's really the only space where you can make 100 times your money, 200, 300 times your money if you get in early in these smaller projects before they become like a part of the foundation of this new decentralized financial system. Uh, then you have to really know what you're doing and you have to spend a lot of time analyzing the technology, analyzing the teams, analyzing the use cases. And I mean, that's what I do full-time with the fund and that's what I do full-time with the newsletter. So if you wanna like dig deeper into that, then of course I recommend you subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Project Serenity. And of course we can also put a link uh, below the video. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where you really, have to have a deeper understanding and, and also you need the time and the resources because the space is developing so rapidly. You know, even for me as a full-time professional, I have to specialize in certain areas where I, like if you ask me, what is the highest leverage move? Uh, then I, I would tell you, you have to own the blockchains and the protocols that all these applications and all these use cases are built upon. It's like, if you look at it like a house, you wanna own the foundation where everything is built upon because over time, this is where the most value will accrue. And even with me specializing just in these two layers, I mean, it's a full-time job to keep up with everything. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, I just wanna highlight a couple of things that really made me go from, are you crazy to, you know what? I'll go 1%. One, you've already mentioned is it's scarce specifically Bitcoin, I think it's 21 million coins is the limit or the max or whatever you yes. call it. 
right? Is over it... the next hundred or so years, we'll get to the full 21 million. But also keep in mind, in the early days, it was worth practically nothing pennies. There are many people that lost tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of coins yeah. because they were worthless. They threw out the computer. So the, the true supply that will be out there eventually is, is way less than 20 million. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to next. Some people are estimating that it's probably going to be closer to 18 million. Again, it's just, again, from that loss, right? People had them early. They threw away their computer. They forgot they had it, whatever it was. The one that really caught my attention is something that, that I've read called cold storage. And this goes back to the example of the, the deep pockets of Wall Street getting in. Can you explain to the audience what, what cold storage is? Yes. So if you have a, wall, a wallet, it's basically a software program that manages your cryptographic key, which is basically like your password. If you think, it, think of it like a bank account, your, your public address that holds the crypto is not on your computer. It's in the blockchain and the network. And your password is like your login where you can move this from one address to the next and spend it. So the, the wallet software is just managing these keys. And if you have that on a computer that's uh, connected to the internet, then this is considered hot storage because it's, mm. it's at risk, it's connected to the internet. Now, cold storage would be if you have a dedicated machine that is offline, or if you have a hardware wallet that is like a little, a little extra device that manages your keys that is not connected uh, to, to the internet, which is a much more secure way to store it. I mean, I wouldn't recommend to anybody if you hold significant amounts of crypto to have that on your day-to-day -day computer that you use for email and surfing the web, because th there's a, a lot of risk there. And this is also, by the way, one really big difference in 2020 with this bull market compared to 2017, because the institutional grade custody solutions, there were basically none in 2017. Now, I mean, they are out there, they're not perfect yet. They're not, uh, in, in terms of what they support, they don't support all the, uh, the projects yet, but now it's at the level where the institutions uh, can go in because they need the professional custody. So, so it's out there in the institutional level and as well uh, uh, on, a, on a more personal retail level, you can have a hardware wallet or a dedicated machine that's offline to keep it really secure. And then the last thing I wanna talk about with, that really surprised me, I think it actually happened after I bought my first coin. Uh, MicroStrategies moved a significant percentage of their cash balance that's on their treasury or on their balance sheet into Bitcoin. Uh, that surprised me to see a publicly traded company, uh, you know, do that. I, was that a surprise to you? I mean, did you see that coming? Do you think yeah, others I mean, will I, follow? I was expecting that. And uh, most likely there are other companies out there that did it before that are just not public about it. Mm. I mean, the, the CEO of MicroStrategy has become one of the biggest evangelists for, for crypto and Bitcoin in particular. Yeah. So much so that if you think about it for a big institution that needs to move many, many millions, it's very challenging from a process and infrastructure and, and security perspective. Uh, not only do you have all these board approvals and, and from the whole corporate structure, you have to uh, make that align for it to work but then you need the custody and you need the execution you can't just go to a random exchange and place a 10 million dollar order right you need to go through otc desks and you need to have the, the right infrastructure for that and what he's doing right now i mean there are millions of dollars worth of research and processes they're basically open sourcing that all and, and holding a big conference for institutional investors and and uh, publicly traded companies or big companies that want to do that they want to get into that and they're basically giving their whole playbook uh, away for free and uh, last i heard there was over a thousand companies already registered for it so wow. again with this s curve we're just hitting the inflection point and we're still very early in this bull market so th this whole wave this tidal wave of money that's coming into the market is really just getting started 
about it. Wow. So Marco, do me a favor. If my audience wanted to follow you, how best to do that? Do you have a social media, YouTube, Facebook? Is it a website? What do you want them to do? Yeah, you can find me on my website at marcowitzer.com. And I'm also on all the social media platforms, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and so on. Very cool. I will put that uh, in the link. Can you do me a favor and send me an email with those other two links? Absolutely. And I will add that to the description. Any closing thoughts about somebody thinking about Bitcoin or crypto or blockchain? Anything you want to close with? Yeah, I would say if you look at history, a superior technology will always take over eventually. You know, it's not a smooth path. It's, it's with up, ups and downs, and especially in the crypto space. But to dismiss cryptocurrency at this point, you know, I, I, I wouldn't fault you for it if you had dismissed it like five years ago. But at this point where it's going mainstream and where you have, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. It already has been the most profitable asset class to be in in the last 10 years. And that's before we hit this inflection point of the mass adoption. So it will be even bigger the next 10 years. And you would be crazy to not at least have a small percentage of your net worth in, in cryptos. Well, with that, folks, I don't know a better way to leave it. Thanks, Marco. My pleasure.